Good afternoon and welcome to the City View podcast. I'm Andy Sylvester, editor here at City AM, live from our Fenchurch Street newsroom. In a minute, I'll be joined by Elise Weber, the co-founder of Skytra, a company owned by Airbus, seeking to revolutionise the way aviation does revenue. We'll talk all about the aviation industry, from recovery to where it might go into the future. I'll also be joined by Leah Montebello, our tech correspondent, who will give us the lowdown on a hell of a deal across the pond. First, though, the headlines and Brits living standards are in fact being eroded by this inflation spike. It's threatening to throw the UK's economic recovery off course. All of that is according to official figures released today. For the first time in a year and a half, pay rises are now being cancelled out by the soaring cost of living according to the Office for National Statistics. The corrosion of living standards, which occurs basically if wage increases fail to keep pace with inflation, does have the potential to throttle the UK's economic recovery from the COVID-19 crisis. All of this will come into sharp focus tomorrow morning with new inflation figures. The consensus expected to put it at 5.2%, putting more pressure on the Bank of England as we head towards a rate decision at the start of February. Meanwhile, the city watchdog is today threatened to chuck European finance firms out of London if they do not intend to stay in the capital for the long haul. The Financial Conduct Authority has issued a start warning to EU banks, brokers and fund managers which use a reprieve scheme but do not intend to stay in the UK in the long term. The city watchdog said it would clamp down the EU finance firms that are abusing what's called the temporary permissions regime. That was a scheme launched by the FCA to help smooth the post-Brexit transition period for European firms based in the city. Elsewhere, THG share price continued to fall after an update that underwhelmed investors, now down about 75% from its IPO this time last year. Goldman Sachs took a hit on Wall Street after an update that failed to live up to expectations, but Hugo Boss at least enjoyed a welcome Philip from Christmas sales. But all anybody's talking about today is a mega deal in the US. Leah Montebello, our tech correspondent here to give us the lowdown. Microsoft putting up some decent cash for Activision. Yes, so it was announced this afternoon that Microsoft would buy the Call of Duty maker Activision Blizzard. Um, So you probably don't know their name, but (laughs) they own Candy Crush, Warcraft, and anything that's a a gamer's dream. Mm. Um, So in terms of deal, it's $68 which is obviously huge. Uh, So it's one of the largest, not only in the gaming industry, but also in the tech space Mm. altogether. Um, so the biggest one to date has been Dell buying EMC for about 67 billion. So the fact that this is hmm. beat that is is a huge Punchy. feat. We talk about um, the fangs a lot and we tend to leave out Microsoft. They're still an absolute giant. But the gaming industry too, growing in its size, growing in its appeal. And this is a sign of that, I guess. Yeah, so in this statement, the Microsoft chairman said that this was a key part of their metaverse development. So as you can see, gaming is, is clearly going, going to be a part of that. Nothing makes me feel older, Leah, than you reeling off those games that I'm only familiar with through adverts that I skip through. Um, anyway, we'll leave it there. A massive deal in the US. And we'll now move on to an industry that I do mercifully know a little bit more about, and that's the aviation industry. I'm now joined by Elise Weber, the co-founder of Skytra. It's an Airbus company, which through data as well as human intelligence is making life a little bit easier for airlines to plan for the future. Elise, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today. Why don't we start at the very top level here, which is obviously with the business. It talk, talk to us about where the idea came from, because one of the things I keep 
I was reading on their website, everything you do, it's always, you know, this is the first time that this has happened. Now, the aviation industry has been around for a very long time. So where did the idea come from to, to kick Skytra into, uh, into being? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, you're totally right. Aviation has been around for a long time. But what the aviation was always missing was a dedicated risk management tool for managing the volatility on the revenue side. Mm-hmm. Whilst other industries, like, for example, shipping, have dedicated tools by which they can hedge their revenues, airlines didn't. So I, when I was working at Airbus and I was seeing that airlines were actually struggling and having a more predictable EBIT margin, a colleague of mine and I had the ideas like, okay, if today airlines can reduce volati- volatility by hedging fuel mm-hmm. on the cost side, it means you make your volatile fuel cost stable. Yeah. Why can't you mirror this logic on the revenue side? And then if you do both at the same time on the cost and revenue side, what you do is you make your EBIT margin more stable. And an industry that has highly lots of volatility and uncertainty, Mm. this is a, a good value proposition and a new tool for any airlines treasury team to use. Yeah, so we're going to come. Obviously, the the most obvious point of, of volatility in in recent past, at least in aviation, has been around COVID nineteen. But the aviation industry, even if you strip out the pandemic, um, it seems particularly partial to volatility. And is that a combination of sort of short term revenues and long term investment, as I understand it? Yeah, this is correct. If you put yourself in an airline shoe and you have to commit to investment like aircraft that depreciate over 25 years. And on the other hand, uh, you know, the bookings are made roughly in the last, let's say, in the last month before a plane takes Mm -hmm. off. So it gives you the discrepancy between, okay, I know what I'm going to make the next 30 days, but the investments I have to take will depreciate over 25 years. So that's a big discrepancy. And whatever helps to reduce this gap or make it more predictable helps. Yeah, and so you are now FCA regulated as a benchmark, which is obviously, again, the first in the industry and the only ones doing it. What is behind the indices? What is it? Is, it, is this just, is, is it just data and data and data and, and the first time that all that data has been brought together? Um, yeah, there is a lot of data. <laughs> this is true. Um, in order to get regulatory approval, you actually have to prove that the data that you are having is meaningful. So what we did is indeed we created the worldwide biggest ticketing database. Mm-hmm. So it's based on really ticket transactions of direct and indirect bookings. So as you might know, airlines sell or directly on yeah. their website or indirectly via travel agents. So we have both, we see roughly um, 80% of worldwide travel by value. So what we do is we take all this ticket information on a daily basis and we crunch it and make averages per market. So we will publish, for example, um, the average of the price of air travel in Europe today. So for example, 20 cents per RPK which means revenue passenger kilometer. So 20 cents per kilometer and then whatever, 12 cents in the US and 11 cents in Asia Pacific. And this is what we do on a daily basis. And that's the price of taking one passenger, one kilometer, right? Correct. Right. And it's nice because the only way you can actually combine all these tickets is to find a common denominator. And mm. if you reduce anything on a per kilometer basis, you make two different destinations comparable. 
Yeah, and that well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I guess just before we get on to, to COVID nineteen and the recovery of aviation, obviously we're talking about airlines and revenue hedging. But of course, before planning, if you're in corporate travel, goodness knows when business travel will come back to normal. But if you're in corporate travel, that also helps you forward plan too, I assume. Yeah, I mean, corporate travel indeed. Um, um, mainly, my part of the corporate travel mm. might not come back, but some key functions. So when we talk to corporates, they say they see the downside. Everything which is linked to new customer acquisition, building up trust to make kind of deals happen, this always requires still face-to-face meetings. Mm. But a lot of internal stuff is maybe not necessary. Mm. But yes, indeed, for a corporate um, who actually... Um, wants to have a more stable price on the corporate travel spend, they could do the same and actually hedge the corporate travel spend. For sure. sure. Um, Well, let's talk about the recovery, I suppose. But in order to talk about the recovery and to talk about revenue hedging, we need to talk about where revenues are going to come from. We all know what happened over the past couple of years to aviation in the broadest sense. Now, Obviously, aviation collapsed first off in, in, in APAC, then got it through Europe and North America across the world, and it's recovered at different speeds. You must have the data to, to almost have a real steer on, on the state of the recovery as we are now. Yeah, so we have actually over COVID seen a couple of interesting um, facts in our data. So I'll try to illustrate that with a couple of examples. One thing that we, um, for example, saw is that people are actually not afraid of travel. Mm. It's not the number of cases that drive the booking behavior and saying, okay, cases are surging and I'm not booking. What drives actually their booking is really only the travel restrictions and the cost linked to that. Mm. So I can give you an example. Um, For example, um, in um, the last summer, um, there was like a window of uh, opportunity to travel between two lockdowns. And we saw a huge spike of booking within the whole across Europe. However, in the UK, the spike was only, you know, twice twice as good as compared to the other European countries. And I can't tell exactly what is the reason for that, but I also know that in the UK, living in the UK, <laughs> the whole testing system with uh, like the different colors, uh, the like it was uh, the green, the amber mm. and the red, and then the day two, the day five and the day eight, it was really, really expensive compared to other European countries. So I think this was also hindering some of, you know, families really to travel because it mm. was just too expensive. But people are jumping on the plane when they can. Well, that's good news. I mean, it's it's interesting you talk about testing. I was um, was lucky enough to to pop over to to Belgium just uh, in this Christmas period, just gone, and in order to sort of get back to the UK, the the cost of testing um, to to get back to the UK, and then obviously on the day two test was exorbitant. When I arrived in Belgium, I had to take a small test beforehand that cost about twenty five quid, and when I got to Belgium, it was. It was entirely free because it was about monitoring people coming into the country. Exactly, um, and it did rather rather make me think that if I was an international tourist choosing which destination to go to, I would rather go to Brussels and London, which is not something I've regularly said. It should be pointed out over over my long history of travel, um, and I dare say not too many people have either. But as we as we look ahead to the recovery, then you talk about people willing to get on the plane, people not scared of mm-hmm. of cases. You presumably are pretty optimistic about the return of of air travel and the benefits that it brings because both 
I mean, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but from my perspective, you have the advantages of travel. You have the advantage of all that means in terms of opening up your mind and new experiences and all that. You have the benefits of families being able to see each other, even if they live overseas, which of course has been a massive issue over the past couple of years, really affecting, I think, the economic geography, particularly of Europe, with people being forced to choose between their family often and their career prospects, and particularly relevant in London and, and people heading back. The benefits of business travel, of course, but also the huge benefits that the aviation industry has on a purely economic basis, because yes. we've we've thought over the past year about aviation being, you know, pilots and cabin crew, and that's all well and good. But the caterers, the people who work in airports, the, the connected industry to this, even before you get into tourism and hoteliers and retail, is just extraordinary. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm generally speaking a very optimistic person and I do love aviation. I do love the idea of just connecting people together. For me, aviation is like a physical worldwide web. Mm. You, know, you just bring people together and I think it's wonderful. So I really truly hope that aviation will recover. So now, if you look at the data, you see that the picture is very different from country to country and between long haul and short haul travel. Mm. I can give a, a couple of examples and I think this trend will also continue. The recovery will not be at the same pace in all the countries and regions. So whilst, for example, if you look right now on um, in kind of um, in the US travel, if you compare, for example, the bookings right now for the next quarter. So, mm -hmm. I mean, for, or, or for the, well, for the current quarter, for Q1 this year, right? So if you look at the bookings and the yields, you see that the bookings are down 15% compared to this to 2019 levels, which is good, right? Mm -hmm. And the yields are down minus 5%. So you're, you're closely back to normal in the US, which is an excellent, you know, mm. an excellent statement. But if you look, for example, on Europe, in this quarter, we're still minus 50% down in terms of volume and the yields minus 10. So it is not that great. We're like halfway on the recovery within Europe and Asia Pacific, Asia Pacific. I mean, yeah. it's a vast region, but there we're still minus 80% down. Mm. So it's not the same speech if you look at the regional level. And then if you zoom down between countries and countries, the picture is even more heterogeneous. Yeah. So if you look, take one long haul market, let's say um, US centric, and you look, for example, the flights between um, the US and, for example, um, United Arab Emirates, mm -hmm. it's back to normal. It's back to really? normal. It's, it's like before. But you take, again, a US centric market and you look, for example, US New Zealand, zero. Yeah. Okay, maybe you have 2% or something. <laughs> but no, I mean, even in the long haul markets, you have markets, depending on the travel restrictions, that are back or almost back. For example, also the US to India is a very strong market. They're always almost back 60%. And you have markets that are still almost at zero, like US to um, China, US to Japan, US to New Zealand. So you have really to zoom down to make some statements with regards to the recovery and the speed will really depend on the travel restrictions. Mm, which is a choice that individual countries are going to have to make about um, how they want to operate out of the end of the pandemic because of all the benefits we've discussed in the economic benefits that come with this this sort of human form of the World Wide Web, as you quite neatly put it. I guess just one more thought occurs to me before we, we finish, which is around 
the criticism of air travel, which tends to be around, you know, its its carbon footprint and so on and so forth, which is a, a, a legitimate one and, and one that people are thinking about. Now, there's all sorts of investment in aviation, which is really exciting about reducing that carbon footprint. Um, but I guess thinking back to what we were talking about right at the start about the, the product and revenue hedging and, and, and so on, if you're able to stabilize your operating environment through things like revenue hedging, let's say, that will allow airlines, I would have thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, to actually think a bit more about those long-term investments. Because if the short-term volatility is reduced, that makes it easier to invest in the long-term in those greener alternatives, be it sustainable aviation fuel or whatever it might be. Yes, you're totally right. Um, and um, I truly believe that aviation has challenges um, and you were alluding to uh, reducing the CO2 f- footprint. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the major topic, but in order to actually make the necessary investment, because it comes at a cost, you know, mm. sustainable aviation fuel is five times more expensive than the normal aviation fuel or even investing in new aircraft comes at a cost. Yes, of course, it will reduce mm. the CO2 footprint but it's not for free. So in order to have this capability of investing, it means that you need to access capital. Mm. And the price of accessing capital depends on your credit rating for a large part. Is it at what conditions will I be able to get the money? And there where we come back to the idea of hedging, because if you can stabilize your earnings volatility, it will probably impact positively your credit rating. Credit, also earnings volatility is one. I'm not saying it's the only yeah, one, sure. but it's one of the key metrics that credit agencies look at. So by by doing, stabilizing your, 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 your revenues over the next one, two or three years, this is an individual strategy. Mm. Might reduce the cost of capital and therefore you will probably be able to do more investments and think about the future. Yeah. So yes, totally agree with what you said. Yeah, no, that's a completely fair point. And it's it's true of a whole host of industries that often get called out for, for carbon emissions or whatever, that it's all very well talking about, you know, turning off this carbon footprint and turning off the industry often. But in order for the transitions to be made, you do have to have the cash available. Elise, that was a longer chat than we usually do on these podcasts, but it was a fascinating topic and it's a fascinating industry at a fascinating time. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today. Bye. And that's all from us at the City View podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news, views and analysis from the Square Mile. Look out at 7am tomorrow for UK inflation figures. Something to keep an eye on indeed. That's all for now.